1: Welcome to the RotoWire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, July 6th. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined by Alex Barutha uh, for our usual Tuesday late afternoon taping. We are brought to you, as always, by WinBet. Check out winbet.com. Alex, Bobby Portis, only 250 to one to win finals MVP right now.
2: You never know, man. If Giannis is out the whole time, I mean, Portis, uh, you know, 20 and 10 every night could happen.
1: According to the DraftKings sportsbook, it is equally likely that Pat Connaughton, Torrey Craig, Bobby Portis, or PJ Tucker win Finals MVP, which I think seems about right.
2: I mean, out of those guys,
1: <laughs> yeah, actually, let yeah, not. realistically, which of those four? It would be obviously the weirdest Finals MVP ever. Which of those four could you like? Is there like a one percent of you you could see some some path to the Finals MVP? Portis, Por- I think Portis so too.
2: Actually, put up fifteen and ten.
1: Yeah. I mean, he could put up 22 and eight. We've already seen it. I mean, at least like with with P.J. Tucker, the argument is like he shuts down Devin Booker. You know, he like Devin Booker averages 12 points per game right. on 20 percent shooting for the series. And it's all because of P.J. Tucker. I don't even know if P.J. Tucker is going to guard Devin Booker all that much. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I just, I just wanted to start out with a discussion of which 250 to one player uh, is most likely to win finals MVP. Just, you know, kind of start with the, the meat and potatoes.
2: Yeah, of course.
1: Let's get to just Buck Suns' finals thoughts overall. Um, As always, you know, like the way that the schedule continues to play out, um, you know, we have to record an episode essentially uh, due to contractual obligations during this time on Tuesdays. So, you know, we don't want to dive in and and preview a game that's going to start in a couple hours. But, you know, the big news of the day, obviously, is that Giannis has gone from doubtful on the injury report as of Monday night to now questionable on the 1230 injury report issued Uh, by the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, that every team is required to put out. So we didn't really get a true update on Giannis. You know, it's not like he came out and said, I'm feeling so much better. I'm questionable. Or the Bucks even commented on it. It was just an official listing. And it could mean that Giannis is maybe on track to play tonight. It could mean that it's just a little bit of gamesmanship. Make the Suns prepare for the possibility that he plays and then, you know, shut him down. Um, You know, it looks like he's going to be a game time call. But either way, I I think if you're you're a Bucks supporter or a Bucks backer uh, on the betting side of things, you have to feel pretty good about Giannis' chances, maybe not to play in game one, but to potentially play in game two. And I would think, you know, with the two-day break between game two and game three, uh, game three is on Sunday night, you have to imagine he's back, probably worst case scenario around the middle of this series. That's that's the way it feels to me right now.
2: Yeah, I think the big, so like uh, before game six, I think it was reported um, that Giannis had potential to re- get a green light for game seven of that Hawks series, right? right? And so, for me, that's like the big uh, that that kind of set the tone for Giannis potentially being healthy enough to play if the Bucks really need him. Um, you know, the question I, I, you know, I think maybe if this was a game seven, he could go. But if you're Milwaukee, I mean, uh, game one, I think I think favorites and game I, don't, I heard some stat that like home favorites this season or, or game one favorites in this playoffs are like 15 and one or something. But like, I just, I'm not sure the bucks would win this anyway, even if Youngest was completely healthy. Like Phoenix has got seven days of rest compared to the bucks, like two or three. It's just, I, I, I think if you're Milwaukee, you're probably okay with not playing him tonight, hoping he's good for game two. Um, but for me, for me, the target would be like Game Three, you know, at home. I think that's kind of your last chance to get him back and feel good about winning the series.
1: Right, and if that's the route that you're going to take, you're essentially saying we're okay with losing both games in Phoenix, and sacrificing the chance, you know, to to bring Giannis back at say eighty percent and maybe win one of those games. Maybe you maybe you still lose him, and then he ends up not being a hundred percent at any point in the series. But you're basically sacrificing potentially two games on the road to say we think we can win four out of the next five with a healthy Giannis um, and, you know, the first two of those being at home. So it's a really complicated situation. You know, there's there's no real easy way to handle it. Uh, I, mostly, more than anything, it comes down to, you know, if Giannis is going to play tonight, is he playing because he really feels great and he feels close to 100% or is he playing because he feels like he has to and, you know, he's going to be 75%? Because if that's the case, I you know, I, I, would, I, I view this series as essentially a 50-50 toss-up with a healthy Giannis. Like, I I think I would maybe put the Bucks as a slight favorite if, if Giannis was 100% healthy, but it's pretty close. I mean, Phoenix has been, I think, the most consistent team throughout the entire playoffs, wire to wire. Um, it's not like having Giannis back all of a sudden makes the Bucs this massive favorite. So all of a sudden, if you're saying that he's only going to be 70%, and, you know, a player like him who, you know, you can't just have him stand in the corner and and draw the defense and be a decoy, you know, like the like the Nets were able to pretty successfully do with a hobbled James Harden, like Giannis basically needs to be 100% healthy to do the things that make him great. And I I just, I feel like Milwaukee could maybe end up hurting their chances to potentially, you know, get hot and and steal one of these games in Phoenix if they're bringing Giannis back and and trying too hard to reintegrate him.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the bucks, you know, I I think the role players have found a completely new level of confidence without Giannis in the lineup. And I'm not sure that's like a result of like I mean, it's just kind of like everyone has a step up mentality, right? Like, Baudet had to change his coaching strategy. Every player individually had to do more. I think they found a good rhythm and good confidence. And if you bring Youngest back, that does potential before he's really ready, that could shake things up to the point where the offense becomes completely jumbled. Like again, like you're saying, you know, Youngest Youngest at his best is a, an amazing help side defender, an amazing transition player, and someone who. You know when his when his half court offense is going, it's going in a way that's it's a lot of spin moves. He's hesitating back and forth. He's doing these super quick drives to the basket. If he can't do any of that, I mean his offense is completely uh, completely limited to offensive rebounding, screen setting, maybe even a ton of off ball screens, maybe doing some Draymond type stuff at the top of the key. But that's not a way the Bucks have really played in any significant way before. And you know that could again, like it could cause more harm than good. I
1: think that's spot on. I, I I think if he's if he's spry enough that he can at least move around and you know like I I don't think this would be an Anthony Davis situation like that that was like comically bad you know it was like how like this is like malpractice that he's even on the court like I I don't think it would get to that point with Giannis but. You know, if he's physically able to do most of the things that he normally can, then he definitely helps the Bucks. You know, I, I think the Bucks have played really well these last two games without him. Um, Middleton and Holiday have had two of their best games of the entire playoffs, um, so it's easy to kind of want to ride that wave. I think, but there's no case that the Bucks are a better team without Giannis. Nobody's suggesting that he gives them, uh, especially defensively. I, I think some elements that they that they're lacking right now. But at the same time, I think if you're if you're Milwaukee's core right now, you're feeling pretty confident. About as confident as you could. Um, I, I think the one mistake they they can't make is to you know assume that you can just pick up where you left off because I, I think I think they're going to find out very quickly that Phoenix is just a, another step up, maybe even two steps up from the Atlanta Hawks, uh, or, or even you know in some ways that Nets team that they faced in round two. I mean, this is this is going to be by far the most complete team that they faced. and and the Bucks didn't play perfectly in games five or six against Atlanta. But more than anything, I just thought the Hawks were not able to make them pay. For some of their mistakes and and for some of what they lost with Giannis being out, I mean it, it just felt like the Hawks were almost the team that you know that was that was without his best player uh, in that game six and and obviously Trey Young didn't play well, but essentially they they can't count on the on the opponent just not being that good and allowing them to to finish out a series because Phoenix is going to take advantage you know if Giannis doesn't play um, and Milwaukee has to be ready to counter that you know I, I guess what, what percentage would you give uh, what percentage chance I should say would you give Milwaukee to win game one or game two? Let's say Giannis doesn't play in either of those games. What percent would you say, like, I, I think that they can come back to Milwaukee at least at 1-1?
2: Um, Maybe like 25%. I, I, I think I, I think what you said about, you know, the, the Suns being a step up from the Hawks is something that I feel like is not being factored into a lot of the people's, like, conversations that I've heard regarding, especially just game one of this series. Like, the Bucks, yeah, they looked great at points during the you know the final two games without Trey, without Giannis, but there were moments where the Hawks were ready to catch back up in that Game Six, um, and and make things happen. And it's like you go from that, um, to now like you mentioned a Suns team that is as much of a well-oiled machine, maybe the best well-oiled machine in the whole playoffs. I think I think you know that the line is. Uh, I think Suns minus six, kind of depending on where you're looking, it could shift depending yeah. on the odds availability, but I would be completely comfortable taking that. Um, in our handicap in the NBA article, I, I just picked the money line because that's easier. But if you're, I mean, if you're someone who wants to bet this series, I mean, I, if you can find a line for like Suns minus 12 or something, you know, and get plus whatever odds on it, I don't think that's crazy either. Because I, I think the the Suns could come out and just like really punch the bucks in the mouth here.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that's more likely to me than the Bucks keeping this really close and maybe not even winning, but like having it be like a three-point game. Like I, I would say, Suns' comfortable victory is probably the most likely outcome for Game One. And you know, if you're the Bucs, that's in some ways that's like the worst case scenario. But at the in, in other ways, it's you know, if you're Milwaukee, you're, you're obviously believing in yourself, I guess, that you can win this game. But I, I think you have to to take these two games as kind of a package and say, look, if we if we lose Game One. It's not the end of the world. You know, we'd really like to win one of these games, but we don't have to win game one, uh, especially, you know, with with the theory that our best player is coming back and will be progressively healthier. If he doesn't play game one, there's a very good chance it would seem that he plays game two and is more effective than he would have been in a game one. So basically, the Bucs just can't panic if they fall behind. Um, Things are, are positioned very well, though, for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, not only like getting here is one thing, like just the fact that they've made the finals, is a massive victory for this team. I think compared to where they were certainly this time last year, even at the beginning of this season, or even at the all-star break, it still would have seemed fairly far-fetched for the Suns to make the playoffs, despite the fact that they were basically one or two in the Western conference for the entire regular season. There was, there was kind of this just failure to believe uh, in the Phoenix suns. And a lot of that was just how good, you know, the Lakers and the Clippers are when they're fully healthy. Obviously both of those teams kind of fell apart uh, in terms of injuries in the playoffs, but I mean, in some ways, Phoenix is, is like kind of playing with house money through these first two games. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to slip up and and potentially lose one of these if Giannis doesn't play. I, I feel like that's there is there is a lot on the line for Phoenix to not allow that to happen, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the pressure is on them to some extent um, to not, um, you know, to, to not fumble here. I, I think, you know, one one thing I think you know, Milwaukee might come out in game one and just kind of throw a ton of different like experimental stuff at the Suns to see what works, you know, because I think during that Hawks series, they switched a ton once Giannis went down. Do they stick with that? Do they try to the drop coverage? What kind of new offense can they think of? You know, because they've had a lot of time to kind of sit on this idea of Giannis not playing. So there is the potential that like they they find something that clicks. That's in my opinion, that's like the only way that the Suns drop a game within these first two is the Bucks come out with something completely unexpected. It works and the Suns aren't able to adjust. But ultimately, like kind of what you're saying, I like this is such a big opportunity for them. Chris Paul is um, like Chris Paul. is. This is the wrong kind of player you want to go up against for the Bucks. like the coach on the floor. Right. It's just like because I think Chris Paul is going to be ahead of Budenholzer for his terms of like game plan. Um, yeah. One thing I keep coming back
1: to, you know, you mentioned, you know, what if the Bucks throw something at them that they're not prepared for? Like, I, what would that be? You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on the spot necessarily, but like what, right. what, what even adjustment do the Milwaukee Bucks have? You know, you, you, I, I don't know. I don't know what that is. We talked last week about how many roster spots they're burning on guys who just aren't really playable, especially in an NBA finals series. And, you know, you remove DiVincenzo from the equation, you remove Giannis from the equation, that just becomes uh, even more salient. But, I, you know, I, I think if you're in Milwaukee, you basically have to pray that you get one of those like 2014 Spurs heat shooting games from your role players. I, I don't know that there's another path, you know, I, I guess other than, you know, Phoenix having an off night and, and, you know, Holiday and Middleton kind of picking up where they left off in the last series. But like, I, I feel like to steal one of these in Phoenix they need to have a game where they go like 16 of 42 from three or something like that.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think the only things the bucks could do, you know, like defensively, maybe they try some hard trapping, you know, like trap Chris Paul. The second he gets across the court, kind of like teams used to do with Harden um, offensively. I mean, offensively it would probably just come down to trying new schemes and new plays that they like literally have not done all season. Like, I don't know if the bucks yeah. have run like a Spain pick and roll all year with like the backside pick on the roller. So it's, it's stuff like that where it's like Phoenix would have no, like they, they could go through hours and hours of film. there just be nothing they've seen from the Milwaukee Bucks. I think that's the only way they could, the Bucks could like pull this out.
1: That would be a hell of a way for Bud to redeem himself. It's just like, get me to the finals. I've been saving all my good coaching for this series. And then he (laughs) just, he just pulls out like all these things that we've never seen.
2: Yeah. I mean, now's the time, man. And I think, you know, I hopefully, you know the players are putting some pressure on him too to change things up, and um, I wouldn't be surprised again if the Bucks come out with something super aggressive to try to steal one. You know maybe that is trapping on defense, but uh, we'll see. I mean I think this will be a really good game one, but I would still not. I, I still think the. I, I yeah. still think being here.
1: I, I do too. I, I think that's the safe pick. I mean it's it's kind of the boring pick, uh, especially if Giannis doesn't play. You know that just becomes like such an obvious call. But not gonna. I'm not gonna pick the Bucks just for the sake of of being different. Uh, especially when you're talking just game one compared to the entire series. Uh, I I do want to talk finals MVP. I know we joked about Portis, semi-joked about Portis at the top, but Chris Paul is now the favorite at plus 160. You got Booker at plus 250, Giannis at four to one, Middleton five to one, Holiday nine to one, uh, and then a pretty big gap before you get to some of the longer shots like DeAndre Ayton at 25 to one, McCall Bridges, Brooke Lopez at hundred to one. It's essentially probably Chris Paul, Devin Booker, or Giannis to be like, if the Bucs win, it's hard for me to imagine that it's not because Giannis comes back and plays really well and and leads them uh, to that finals victory. Uh, Is is there any case for, you know, somewhat of like an Andre Iguodala type uh, of finals MVP in this series where like Bobby Portis, like, you know, that's, that's a little too far fetched, but I would imagine if we, if we could roll back the clock and, and see what those odds were ahead of the 2015 finals. My guess is that Iguodala would have been in that, like, DeAndre Ayton 25-ish to one range.
2: Right. I think um, you might have to think of this one like, you know, it's either LeBron wins MVP in those series or it's the guy who's guarding LeBron wins MVP. So if you yeah. kind of apply that, this is a little different. But if you apply it to the Chris Paul theory, it's like, OK, if Chris Paul's not going to win it at plus 160, the guy who's, end up, who's probably going to guard him most of the time is Drew Holiday. And if Drew Holiday can limit Chris Paul, you know, limit his numbers, um, I don't know what that looks like in the playoffs, but let's say Chris Paul averages, you know, like fifteen and seven on bad shooting, and Holiday can average, you know, nineteen and nine or whatever. Basically, if Drew if Drew Holiday puts up better numbers than Chris Paul, and the Suns uh, the Bucks yeah. win the series, also probably without Giannis. I mean, the thing is, can Giannis even win finals MVP if he doesn't play the first two games of the series or whatever that is? So you kind of have to factor that in. Yeah. Um, it would, it would totally depend on
1: how the series goes. You know, if they lose the first two without him and he comes
2: back and they win four the
1: next five, then definitely yes. But if they were to somehow go up 2-0 without him and then he comes back, and even if he plays well, you know, if they're, if they're up 2-0, that means Middleton and or Holiday have gone off in those two games. So, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to track, like, how that would, how that would happen. But I still feel like Giannis... At four to one is the rightful favorite if you're saying it's going to be a Bucks player.
2: I think I think you make that bet or you're comfortable making that bet the second that you see that he's available for game two. Then sure. you can fire that off, I think, with some confidence. But other than that, I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, if I had to pick one of those guys that you listed, I I think Drew Holiday is the best value just because he has the potential to shut down the guy who everyone assumes going to be the finals MVP and then probably just you know at that point you're almost handed if he just plays you know well on offense he should he should very much be in the conversation at nine to one
1: yeah I like that approach because you could he could basically have a similar or even slightly worse offensive series than Middleton but the defense would be what really pushes him over the top I, I think that makes a lot of sense I mean Chris Paul there's not a ton of value at plus 160 but I am on I am firmly entrenched in the if the Suns win the finals Chris Paul is getting finals MVP argument like Devin Booker, I feel like would have to like vastly outperform him for Paul to not get it. Like everybody wants like this is Chris Paul's lifetime achievement finals MVP sitting there on a pedestal for him. Um, And and unless he just has like an off series or Devin Booker averages 37 a game on 55 percent shooting, like I, I just I just can't see the trophy being handed to anybody else.
2: You're 100% right about that. I think we had we may have had almost this exact same conversation about uh LeBron and Anthony Davis in the bubble last yes, year. Exactly. Um where it was like how how much would Anthony Davis have to average like 30 and 15 and even then it's like I'm not sure that would do it. So it's it's it, you're exactly right. Um Booker would have to have one of the best NBA playoff finals series in league history, I think to take this from Paul or Paul would have to just Lop so unbelievably bad um that you know they you have no other choice. People still want to give it to him though. Again, it's like how how the gap would have to be so big in their in their play.
1: Yeah, I think the, the best way to phrase it is like it's Chris Paul's award to lose. Like he has to play yeah. his way out of Finals MVP. He and the Suns, you know, I mean they they're they're in the driver's seat to begin this series. He's in the driver's seat for Finals MVP. um But yeah, very very similar to the LeBron situation last year. And Davis played really well. Like there was a pretty big upswell around games like three and four for Anthony Davis to to be the finals MVP. And I, I just kept telling people, like, do not bet on this. Like this, he will not win it. Like it's it's LeBron's team. Like the league is contractually obligated to give this award to LeBron if the Lakers win.
2: Well, the thing was, you know, all he needed was one bad game and he was out of it. And I think that happened. I think he had like kind of one underwhelming game. And then as soon as that happened, everyone was like, Nope, we're out. Yeah, I think it was right. game four. Game four, he had six points Yeah, uh, and played, you know, 19 minutes. But, um, or no, sorry, I'm misreading this. But you, you know what I mean. Like, he, he just, he completely fell out of it. It was the 15-pointer, sorry. Game three, okay. against Miami, he had 15 points and five rebounds. That completely killed his finals MVP chances. Yeah. Booker's in the same boat. He could come out and score 70 combined points in the first two games. If he puts up 15 in game three, it's, it's Chris Paul's. So maybe your best chance, I mean, maybe if you want value, uh, wait until, you know, see if Booker can have two good games and then then bet the Chris Paul number potentially.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance that could creep up a little bit. I, I do worry that if the Suns win game one and win game two, you know, then obviously the Suns, you know, both Paul's and Booker's odds are adjusted for the likelihood that right. they're winning the series. If that makes sense. I mean, maybe that cancels out.
2: It does. Yeah, uh, yeah who knows?
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Uh, one thing I want to ask again about is the Buck shooting. It, it, like, is there any belief for you that this team, which <laughs> had been such a very a, a fantastic three point shooting team for like the last two and a half years, and it, it just hasn't been there? in the playoffs they had that huge explosive game against miami i don't remember if that was game three or i think it was game four to close it out when i think they had like 10 threes in the first quarter like since then they've had a couple stretches or you know quarters or halves where they'll shoot the ball really well but they haven't put together like a great run of three-point shooting and it's pretty much unprecedented for a team that's shooting 31 percent from three to make it this far and most of those teams are eliminated in round one and if not round one like for sure round two Uh, Kevin Pelton on the low post the other day, or I think it was the low post on some pod mentioned that the last team to shoot this badly from three is the 2004 Detroit Pistons who were at like 28%. And that was when teams were taking like six threes a game. Um, I mean, Milwaukee's just clanking a ton of threes, a ton of wide open threes. The Suns didn't shoot the three all that well against the Clippers. They were at 35% in that series, but they were on, on fire against both Denver and the Lakers. They're the better shooting team overall. Is there any chance that the Bucks can, like, catch lightning in a bottle and recapture that? Or do they have to kind of adjust to this new identity of, of a team that shoots a lot of threes but just doesn't make that many?
2: I don't know, man. It's remarkable that they've made it to the finals with this being the case. I mean, they have the best two-point percentage in the playoffs. I right. think that's important to note. But their true shooting percentage because of Giannis' free throws are still awful. Um, I don't know, man. I think, you know, that you have to still—especially— the thing is you just have to keep keep playing like that because, you know, if Giannis is out, it's ideal, your best chance is to have a five-out offense because the Bucks don't have like a quick twitch point guard that can like get into, you know, snake into the lane and still create good shots when there's someone else kind of packing the paint. And that was like, again, this is a different team example, but like the Clippers don't have one of those dynamic ball handlers really. And that's why Serge Ibaka was so important to them is because he allowed them to go five out. And most NBA players who are decent at handling the ball can beat a guy isolation. So it's important for the Bucks to just continue playing like that. I mean, it's just as important if Giannis comes back because they have to space the floor for him. I don't yeah. think, I think they're just kind of trapped into a roster construct of guys who will shoot threes are average to above average at it. Um, you just can't go away from it. You have to just keep taking them when the, when they're open. Um, you, know, you, you can, you can try to do stuff like force it to Brook inside Middleton loves those mid-range post-ups. You still got to shoot threes.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously you have to keep shooting him. Um, I, I just, it, it's been tough to watch. I mean, I, I think you have to hope and pray that you get one of those Bryn Forbes games where he has, you know, he's five of seven from three early in the third quarter, or Pat Connaughton heats up for you. Like, that's, that's, that's kind of the way that I felt like the Clippers were able to hang around in that series. And even the way that they were able to close out the Jazz is just, you know, force feeding guys and just like, please keep launching threes. If you're open, just shoot it. And, you know, they had a game where they hit like 19 uh, that they, they were you know, up over 15 made threes multiple times. Like guys, guys like Luke Kennard, who were glued to the bench early on, um, you know, Marcus Morris, I think had like five threes in a game, maybe even more. Um, you know, th- those are, I feel like those are like comparable players to the guys we're talking about for Milwaukee. You know It's not Ray Allen and Kyle Corver who, who you need to get going. It's like these, these guys who, you know, are are basically thirty five percent three point shooters because they're either going five of seven or zero of three, and it all ba- it all balances out. Like they they need they need somebody to have one of those games, I think, to win game one or game two if Giannis isn't playing.
2: I mean, I've been clamoring for more fours the whole time. He's shooting thirty eight percent from three in these playoffs. Um, you know, Porgis isn't as good as he was in the regular season. That probably should have been expected, but yeah. I mean, that's another thing. You know, I think I think. The Bucks can do offensively is just like just run plays to try to get Bryn Forbes open and just have him shoot six threes, you know, because you know the Congaton's a standstill three-point shooting guy, right? So is Middleton to some extent. I mean, he'll pull up, but the Bucks don't have those like run off a screen, JJ Redick types, Kyle Korver types. Like Forbes is the Bucks' only guy that like really does that. So mm-hmm. you got to try to get him good looks to get things off. Um, the problem is, you know the you know, the Suns have great defensive personnel, right? I mean, they may not have someone who's great at covering Forbes when he he does that, but I'm sure they'd be comfortable switching that. Um, I'm a little worried about, like, um, you know, this isn't three-point specific, but just, like, Mikael Bridges on Chris Middleton, uh, I'm kind of worried about that in terms of how good Chris is going to be able to play. So, you know, I mean, Suns got great defense, obviously. I mean, the Suns and uh, Bucks both have great defenses. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, for game one, especially, it's it's very easy to just kind of close your eyes and envision a scenario where, you know, McCall Bridges like blocks a Chris Middleton pull up jumper attempt. And then, you know, the Suns run a fast break and he hits a three from the corner and all of a sudden, you know, the lead is up to 15 and the Suns fans are going crazy. Like it, it just it just seems like we're headed toward that um, at some point in game one and, and whether the Bucks I think, can can kind of weather that storm and and frankly, not turtle up like they did in, in the second half of game four. And, and it's one thing, you know, to, to see Giannis go down. And and at that time, think this guy may have torn his ACL. It's it's a lot easier said than done to just pick up where you left off. And, and, you know, I think they, the, the Hawks immediately went on like a 12 0 run as soon as Giannis went out and the game was over, but, you know, being able to survive, you know, Phoenix, I feel like more than any other team has had those, those kind of moments over and over in the playoffs where when things are going, when things are going well, you know they tend to go really well, and guys like Jake Crowder just start hitting everything, and and all of a sudden the game's over. Um, you know being able to limit those type of opportunities is going to be huge. I want to look at the series correct score odds real quick before uh, we finish out with some just kind of general playoff fantasy talk. Suns to win in five is the favorite outcome right now at four to one. Suns to win in seven is actually pulled even, excuse me at four to one as well. Suns in six plus four fifty. Bucks in six at five to one. Bucks in seven at plus five fifty. Uh, then you have Suns sweep at eight to one, Bucks and five at eight to one. Bucks sweep is sixteen to one. Uh, I, did you pick Bucks or Suns and six or Suns and seven in our staff picks article that went up today?
2: I did Suns and seven. Um, that was just kind of fueled by like the uncertainty of Giannis. Like I I don't know if Giannis was healthy, I think I'd pick the Bucks in seven, but. Um, without knowing, like, how he's going to be, ultimately. It's just, like, I, I couldn't pick him. So I, I did seven, because I think the Bucks can still make something happen, and I think maybe Giannis does come back. But, um yeah, I, I went Suns in seven. The Suns in five people and the Suns in seven people have just, like, the, the thing that's different between them, I think, is, um, like, the, how healthy they think Giannis is going to be. Yeah. Like, I think, you know, the Suns in seven people Think that Youngest might come back game two be healthy. Bucks play competitive, etc. I think the Suns in five people think Youngest either doesn't come back or he comes back and plays badly. And I think they're just kind of assuming Bucks win like game three or game four at home, and then the rest of the series might be just kind of like Suns, you know, uh, bowling them over.
1: Yeah, it, it's really hard to make a, an overall series pick when there's such a massive variable, not only for game one but just you know the, the entire series. Um, but everybody picked Suns. I think we had seven or eight guys on the panel. Everybody went sons, I, I think, in six or seven. And I mean, t- to be fair, a lot of these picks came in before Giannis went from doubtful to questionable. I, I would guess if, if you told people that there's a, a decent chance Giannis plays in game one, maybe that would change some things. But I, I keep going back to, like I said at the top, even if Giannis is healthy, I wouldn't feel like super confident in the Bucks winning this series.
2: no. No, I mean, there'd be a good chance the Suns would win the series anyway. You know, we talk about, like, a team in Phoenix that they just, you know, again, the confidence level that you have in them, what they've shown to be able to do, they do not waver. They don't look nervous. They don't play nervous. I think a lot of that is just kind of they've taken on the the personality of Chris Paul. Um, and the <laughs> the Bucks are almost the opposite. It feels like they're going to waver at any moment. Um, you know, it just, like, th- it feels like they've kind of gotten lucky, two series in a row with injuries. So, um, yeah, I think I think there would have been a good case for the Suns either way. But um, with Giannis being less than 100%, I think it's pretty easy for people to just, you know, hop on Suns no matter how many games.
1: So to finish out, I want to talk about some of the players who have either played well or played poorly throughout these playoffs, not just in these last couple rounds, but, you know, taking into account everything, um, and and how that maybe has impacted their fantasy value as we start to look ahead to the 21-22 season. I have our, our early top 150 up right now. We published that on June 8th, so almost a full month ago. Uh, I, I don't think we would make any, like, massive tweaks. You know, the, to me, that it's hard to come up with one player who I just feel, like, 100% different about. Uh, maybe other than Reggie Jackson, I guess. Uh, I feel like yeah. he now probably has to be shoehorned into this top 150 Uh, somewhere but we also don't know where he's going to be playing next year and and obviously that'll have a major impact but you know even if we're only talking like five or ten spots like would you move Trey Young up at all like would you move up Donovan Mitchell who who was scoring the ball like crazy before he got hurt um you know do you downgrade someone like Gobert who struggled uh, but has always been great in the regular season like has, has anybody's has anybody really changed their opinion for you
2: those three guys specifically not really because ever since I guess second half of his rookie year I've been like a Trey Young believer um, you know I think I mean, the rest of the team around him is is pretty good so there's always the argument that like his usage honestly like declines a little bit I, I don't know man I, I'm a Trey Young believer I Donovan Mitchell I mean we saw the same thing from Donovan Mitchell last year right like he had an insane playoff series against the Nuggets in the bubble and then went and continued to, he had a normal regular season again this season um, and as far as Gobert goes like Teams in the regular season just do not try that hard to, like, play Gobert off the floor or anything like that just because it's regular season basketball. He's someone, like, you're comfortably getting, you know, like, 15. And, like, you you can almost pencil him in for, like, multiple 15 and 15 games with, like, Mm -hmm. three, four blocks. Like, he's just, he's the prototypical, like, uh, standard top-tier fantasy center. Points, rebounds, efficiency, blocks.
1: I would say I feel slightly better about Kevin Durant, who we had at three. And to me, that was more about his per game value and, and the hope that he plays more games next regular season. Um and one, I mean, he was fantastic, obviously, in the playoffs, didn't miss any time there, uh continues to to look very healthy whenever he is on the floor. And I, I mean this is a little bit far-fetched, but the Nets, you know, bowing out in round two. He's going to get more rest, I think, than than most people expected. Then again, he's now going to play in the Olympics, which, if you're a fantasy basketball guy or potentially even a Nets fan, that's not ideal, uh, just in terms of his workload. But I, I think Durant, you know, looked looked awesome, you know, playing basically every other day for those two rounds and playing a ton of minutes and not being restricted at all. Uh, I feel pretty good about his durability going forward. I mean, we had Damian Lillard at number four on our list at at that time, you know, there there was not really any chatter that he wouldn't be playing for the Portland trailblazers. That now seems like, you know, a a much more, or a a much greater possibility, I guess, that he's not in Portland. Does I mean, is there a potential that he lands somewhere else alongside, you know, another superstar and we kind of have to do that, that same math that we were doing with, you know, James Harden to Brooklyn, like, how does this affect him? How does this affect the other star that he's teaming up with?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I don't think he gets traded somewhere and his fantasy value increases. That seems no. unlikely to impossible. So, yeah, we we probably have to, you know, look back at previous cases if he ends up next to a player that's extremely high usage. But at the same time, like, it's also hard to imagine he goes to a team where he's not the number one option anymore. I, I don't know how many, like, unless you're pairing him with Jokic or something, because he Lillard's a top five MVP candidate every year. So, um it 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 would just affect the other guy just as much. It, it's it's gonna be tough, but yeah, he'll probably end up with a slight downgrade as a result.
1: Yeah, I'm looking through our top ten. I mean, obviously, if Giannis, if that knee, you know, it looks to be worse than it is now, or if he were to re-injure it, you know, we we would have to have that conversation. I mean, Anthony Davis at at nine. We we kind of went back and forth on on where to put him. I mean, he's a guy that. If you said he's going to play every single game next year, he would have a case to be the number one overall player. He's been in that conversation a number of times in the past, but I I I think he's we have him about right at number nine. If anything, that's maybe a little conservative. But he's missed a ton of time. He missed more time in the playoffs. He just kind of continues to have these weird injuries. Like he's he's never really had correct me if I'm wrong like a serious injury, right? It's always things that keep him out for a couple weeks or or a month or two. He's never torn his ACL. He's never torn his Achilles. It's just these like weird injuries that don't really even seem to be connected to each other. And you know, they cropped up again in the playoffs. And I, I just I, I feel like going forward, we he might just be out of the out of the top three conversation indefinitely until he strings together like two or three years where he's not missing fifteen plus games.
2: Well, and he really took a step back statistically as well this yeah. season. I mean yeah, he's he yeah, almost all of his stats across the board are down. Like, I, I did points, rebounds, assists, all the percentages. Um, so I the question is, like, is he, you know, are he and LeBron kind of just going to continue to take, like, a, a coasting mentality, you know, for the next upcoming regular seasons? Like, is Anthony Davis just, he's going to play 31 minutes a game, he's going to score 22, eight rebounds, not trying that hard, let the role players try hard? um or is he gonna you know or or was this season a product of uh coming off of the bubble and he had to take it extra easy and now with a real off season this year he'd be able to come in with you know kind of a full head of steam re-energized and get back to his normal self which is essentially 26 and 10. I don't don't really know how to answer that um and you're factoring in the injury so he's he I mean he's he's about as risky of a player as you can take in the top 10.
1: Oh no question no question and I think I'm going to approach him pretty conservatively. I, I targeted him in, in a couple of important leagues this year that did not work out whatsoever. Um, and I, I think a lot of people will. So, you know, the, the flip side is maybe you're getting him at a discount. And if, if next season he does you know, miraculously stay healthy and, and comes back a little more motivated and looks like he's actually trying, um, then you're going to get him at a nice discount. But I, I feel like it's, it's, it's to me, it's like a 70, 30 at this point with the 30% being, you know, the positive outcome. If you're a fantasy player, I mean Kawhi at 11, I I'm still convinced he has a torn ACL. I have no information on this, but it's just <laughs> weird. And I, I still go back to that champs tweet, you know, ACL injury. That's almost always a torn ACL with Kawhi with Clippers. We, who knows if we'll ever get a straight answer. Um, I mean the, the one benefit for Kawhi to the Clippers losing that series is he doesn't have to talk to the media anymore. So I've, I have no idea what to expect there. I, I still feel like in the back of my mind, there's a chance that he might not be ready to start next season, but We'll see. At at some point, information is going to come out there. Um, Let's see. I mean, we have Paul George at 19. I I wouldn't put him up too much higher, but I I feel like despite the Clippers losing that series to Phoenix and and, and Paul George missing two, you know, very publicly bad free throws, I, I still feel like he's, it was overall a net positive for him, these
2: playoffs. I think so. And I mean, you know, if you are someone who, assumes Kawhi leonard's gonna miss time if you view him as a significant injury risk i think you automatically have to bump up paul george in your rankings right know, like if you're downgrading Kawhi leonard you have to upgrade paul george because in those games Kawhi is gonna miss george is gonna you know play at mvp usage um and put up you know elite fantasy numbers so i think you know i think drafting him there makes sense um He's been relatively consistent throughout the regular season. He can, you know, in terms of like on a game to game basis, he can be, he can fluctuate. But over the course of a whole season, yeah, I mean, he's he's fine.
1: So we have Michael Porter Jr. at 23. I, I think I would maybe bump him down a little bit. I mean, he had those back issues at the end of the season that kind of reminds everybody like, oh yeah, this guy's a massive injury risk. Uh, that That's in the back of my mind. And he also, I mean, the back I think was a big part of it, but he also just didn't play all that well, didn't shoot the ball that well. I mean, us putting him up at 23 was basically 100 percent based on how he played after Jamal Murray went down in the yeah. regular season, which was fantastic. He was a top 20 player, super efficient, basically the best version that we've seen of Michael Porter Jr. And, and even though Murray is going to miss, I would say, at, at the very least, half of next season, probably more, probably closer to all of it. Um, I, it I feel like Michael Porter just showed that it, it, there's made, there, there's a very good chance, I would say, um, that he wouldn't live up to twenty third overall value. There's a, there's certainly a chance he could. There's a chance he could exceed it. That's the reason you would take him there. But I, I personally would probably try to snag him, you know, five to ten, uh, five to ten picks later. I mean later, obviously if you could. But um, I I don't know that he'll last that long. But I, I would rather take a, a more proven commodity at this point.
2: Yeah, he should he should see increased usage, right? Like I, I think it's fair to expect him to score at least twenty a game since he scored nineteen a game this year. Yeah, but he. It, the Jamal Murray usage with Murray out it doesn't really directly funnel to Porter because they are such different players. Porter is not like a, a secondary run the offense guy. Like he gets his offense through cuts and spot up threes, right? And then he can run in transition, decent offensive rebounder. But like he's he's not going to be like handling the ball and running pick and roll with with Jokic, I don't think unless like they really unless he really make some strides in the offseason. So I agree with you. I think we have him ranked a little high right now, but I I fully expect people to take him there, um, especially in best ball leagues, you know, where yeah. you can we can, where you can be a little more risky. But, um, I yeah, it's probably the top end of where you go.
1: How about Julius Randle? We, we slotted him in at 27th. Uh, he obviously finished quite a bit higher this past year, but a big part of that was not missing any time. He was terrible in the playoffs. I, I feel like we were all, both you and I were kind of on the same page with him even before that first round series that, you know, it's just going to be really hard for him to replicate what he did, especially durability wise this past year. I, I feel even better about that now after how he played in round one. Not, not that that just erases everything that he did during the regular season, but it feels like maybe there's a little bit more of a blueprint to to shutting him down. And and there's also a chance that the Knicks roster is a little more talented around him next year, which would mean that he's not putting every single thing on his shoulders every single night.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a slight regression, you know, possibly because I mean, if the if the Knicks continue to stay competitive next year, I guess we don't really have a reason to think that they won't, you know, with Tibbs as the head coach. it's, it's it was proven that running your offense that much for Julius Randle is not a long-term winning strategy in the playoffs. So you have to wonder, does Tibbs go into the offseason thinking, well, obviously we want Julius Randle to kind of still be the hub of the team, but like, what else can we do? How can we take pressure off of him? Because, um, again, we're probably not going to get that far in the playoffs with him doing that. So, yes, yeah, numbers slightly down, but I still expect him to be the number one guy in on the team. Um, and I would still draft him relatively high, you know, assuming they don't add like a you know like a really really nice number two piece or even a guy better than him somehow
1: all right we'll finish out with uh these two guys who are conveniently uh kind of in this in the same tier for us in, in these rankings ben simmons at 47 deandre Aiden at 48
2: well ayton is going to get a huge bump because of these playoffs like no question i think i think he'll have a completely new level of confidence in himself. I think the organization has a new level of confidence in him. I wouldn't be surprised if next season they try to get the most out, like, see what he can really do. Like, can he shoot some threes? Maybe we'll give him more post-touches, see what he can do there. I think next year will be, what do we really, really have in DeAndre Aiden? Um, So I would expect a big year from him. Huge bounce-back season. Um, As far as Ben Simmons goes, like, I mean it feels like it's inevitable he gets traded. Um, you know, that that's kind of died down while the playoffs have been going on, but I I think he's gone for the most part. That's that's kind of what we've been hearing and I don't really know what that does for him honestly. Like I I just have he is he has proven like he's gotten better defensively, right? We've all acknowledged that. He was defensive player of the year candidate. But his offense has gotten so stagnant that it's very worrying. And if I'm if I'm a fantasy manager, I just I don't know, like obviously we all know the upside. It's just I, even with a change of scenery, I would not feel confident taking him like a lot higher than, you know, like his best fantasy season up to this point.
1: If you're a Ben Simmons manager, let's say you have him in, in like a keeper league. Do you want him to be traded or would you prefer that he stays in Philly? Like what what is better for his twenty one, twenty two fantasy value at this point?
0: I think
2: I want him to be traded because if I, if I have him in a dynasty league, I'm thinking like, this is the worst, this is the worst team for him. Worst possible scenario. He needs to get out of Dodge. Like him and Joel and B don't really get along that well. Let's get him on a team, like ideally somewhere like Houston or like a, just a tanking team in general where they can build an offense around him. And, you know, they can basically feed him triple doubles. Um, and so I, I think i would I would want him very much to be to be traded if I was a dynasty manager.
1: I think that's right. I think in Philly, you at least we kind of know what the floor is, I guess at this point. It's like you would just say like, well, he'll probably just do exactly what he's done the last three or four years here. and and that's fine. Um, but especially if you're holding like you know if if you're drafting him into season long league, then you now you know what to expect. You know, you're not going to overdraft him. You're not going to take him at twenty and and predict that it's going to be this big breakout that just hasn't come. But yeah, if you're holding him in a dynasty league, you know you don't really have that benefit of, you know, determining I guess where you're taking the the bite on that value. I, I think there is a possibility that if he does end up somewhere else, all these things that we think he can become and that pretty much everyone agrees, like the guy's super talented. Like it's I don't I haven't seen anyone say like he's just not that good. Like everyone's like yeah he's really good. It's just you know he's he's missing a very key component and he kind of needs his own team. It's probably it probably has to be a bad team. Uh, because it's it's tough to build a very good team right now around a guy uh, that that has the shortcomings that he does. But yeah, man, if you if you were to somehow end up in like Orlando or Cleveland, like I I would be significantly more optimistic about just his fantasy production for next year than I am, you know, where he is right now.
2: I'm 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 completely with you. I mean, he could average, you know, I mean, I think if you got him on one of those tanking teams and just let him do his own thing, he could average like you know, 17 and 10 or something like that. Like, I don't think that's out talking to question, you know, eight no. rebounds. Again, I think you you try to get him into a role where he's just like he's the man. So, you know, I, it will be tough like if he doesn't get traded before your fantasy draft and it's a redraft league, it's kind of tough to say. But I think even the threat of him being traded will boost his fantasy value to the point where I think he'll get drafted kind of in between where people think maybe his upside is and where his floor is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there will be some really aggressive fantasy managers that will draft him as if he is, is being traded. Um, so that that's something to take into account. All right, man.
1: Good stuff. Glad we got to chat before this game one. Hopefully, we see Giannis at some point uh, in these series or in this series, I should say. Um, hopefully, that's tonight in game one. Uh, we will find out. I, I assume he's going to be a game time call at this point. But great chatting with you, and we'll be back later in the week to recap.